The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody, on this rainy, almost nor'easter day here in New York City. It is Tuesday, January 24th, 2017. I'm Vince Rocco, your host, and I'd like to welcome our listeners from the United States and around the world. So today we're going to talk about teams. Teams of real estate agents working together has become a phenomenon in New York City real estate firms. There are many teams throughout the city, but it isn't isn't always an easy way to do business. With that said, when you find a successful group of people, teams work brilliantly. We have here today Heather McDonough and Henry Herskowitz from Core Real Estate, and they are a very successful working team, and we're going to talk to them about all of this this morning. With over 30 years of combined experience, uh, the McDonough-Hershkowitz team is approaching $1 billion in New York City residential real estate sales. They understand what draws buyers to your address and can strategize tailored marketing and sales plans to expedite and optimize the sale of any residence. The McDonough-Hershkowitz team was ranked, the, the in, this is funny, the 141st team by sales volume in the U.S., which is top 30 overall in New York City in 2016's Wall Street Journal Real Trends, the thousand list. Did I get that right? That was beautifully said. Wow, that was very much. (laughs) (laughs) Heather and Henry formed the McDonough Herskowitz team in 2011 to maximize their selling power. Both have a rare knowledge of the luxury real estate real estate market. They have worked alongside the most exclusive developers to create, market, and sell cutting edge properties at the maximum price. Using this experience and understanding, they bring the same strategic and innovative approach to their clients' buying, selling, and leasing needs. There are five, I think, additional team members, and we'll talk about that, and you can find them on the core website under the McDonough Hershkowitz team. So good morning, guys. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. So let's get right at it. You both started uh, started your New York City real estate careers in new development, counseling some of the city's top developers on all aspects of prestigious construction from branding to layouts to finishes to marketing and ultimately to closing the deals. Okay, so you know people who aren't familiar with um, new development don't understand the whole uh, process of bringing a building to market. So we'll talk about that. I also spent many years in new development. Uh, and I'd love to get back at that. But my question to you is, how has this experience helped you moving forward in resale as well as continuing in new development? So some people start out in resales and then morph into, you know, selling on site, which I did. And some people start the opposite in new development. So how did your early experience help you continue to be successful in both new developments and then also in resale? <clears throat> well, Vince, in new development... You have to sell a lot of buildings, whether the building is it consists of 30 units, 100 units, 300 units. So you're always strategizing on how to sell the property. And it, there usually is 
a cycle, a sales cycle that could be anywhere from 18 months to 24 months. So innovation, new ideas, creativity always plays a part of it. And it's, it's integral in getting the sales done. So in our business, we've actually taken that approach and we apply it to each listing. So we really, really do treat each listing with care and we are constantly evaluating the listings position in the market and making sure we have it positioned as well as possible. So the same care or the same attention rather that that you place in new development with the whole marketing campaigns and the, the PR campaigns, you then apply to each individual resale listing. Correct. And you find that that's been uh, successful for you. Right. I think that differentiates us from a lot of resale brokers uh, because... I mean, I see your stuff all over the place. So for me, I would say it's working. Mm-hmm. Um, but go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, I mean, we just focus also in new development. You focus on a lifestyle, too. You're kind of selling a lifestyle. And we bring that a little bit to the resale. So when we see an apartment, we say, who's going to buy this? Who's our target market? Right. And we really try to help the seller kind of reform how they live so it looks it appeals to our target market. I wanted to get into that a little bit because I used to say the same thing. You're selling a lifestyle when you're selling new development condominium buildings, okay? So who really comes up with the, the lifestyle approach in these in these sales endeavors? I mean, who's putting together what this building should be, who it should be marketed to, who's the, the, the person who's actually going to buy it? Um, it really, how does that happen? It really depends on the team. Um, it's a combination of the developer and what they want. They're building it. Um, there's a branding agency that's hired and we as the sales directors are really consultants to kind of those three groups really work together. We, uh, having doing resale and new development, we're on the street. We know what people want now and that's why the developers hire us so that we know now people want open kitchens, people want closed kitchens, people want more lofty spaces, et cetera. And then we hire an expert branding agency to really help us with the marketing materials, the look and feel, et cetera. So you're the deliverer of the message, basically. The message is created with all of our, our input and help, but you are the one feet on the street, as I used to call it, you know, in, in the trenches, meeting and greeting the customers and actually delivering the message or the lifestyle and hoping that you're going to make sales and close deals. Correct. Definitely. And another re- way that uh, new development has helped us in resale is we started in new development and we started in very beautiful buildings where top brokers were constantly coming in. I had mm-hmm. no experience as a broker before I did that. And I saw how all the top brokers did their work, how they interacted with clients, et cetera. And that taught them. That was an education for me. Yeah, same here. And it, it's interesting how you become very quickly known in the uh, in the industry or the neighborhoods that you're selling in when you're in new development because, you know, as we talk about on this show all the time, new development is such a big deal in this town. Everybody wants it. Everybody wants to pay for it. Uh, it it's getting to the point where I think in some cases the resale marketplace has been uh, struggling a little bit uh, because everybody's buying new. And then that's not a bad thing, but, you know, that's that's just the way it is. Let's talk about, you know, the, the focus of our discussion today here on the program is teams and why teams have become what they've become here in the city. And for the listening audience out there, teams are basically two or more people working together on a team uh, in, a, in a real estate firm that sells and rents uh, real estate. So 
how does it set you guys apart working um, as a team and creating, you know, how do you create a, 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 an enormous team like yours and a powerful team and a successful team like yours? What, what, what goes into that and how and why have you become so successful? Just to clarify, I'll let Heather answer, but I wouldn't say enormous. I think we have a nice, tight, smart team. I think enormous, actually, you lose track and you can't pay attention to every list. Those are small companies and we can, yeah. we can all recall. Yeah. Okay. And we'll, we'll see. A nice, <laughs> tight, small team. And then I'll let Heather yeah. answer that. Well, I think that the foundation is the most important. And the fact that, uh, you know, when, when I went into resale, Henry was still doing a little bit of new development and I had to do it on my own just getting started and learning. And there was a point where you hit critical mass and I wasn't able to provide the type of service that I like to provide to my clients. So at that point in time, I I had to figure out how do I continue to provide the quality service that I want to provide? And that was adding on a team member Um, because you just, it's a, it's a difficult business. It requires a lot of time and attention to detail if you're going to do it right. And you honestly, in the city, you cannot do it alone. Um, even, even top brokers that aren't a team, they have, they might have an army of assistants. Um, but, uh, so from there we just kind of grew and we always focused on the foundation and, and when we hired assistants, it was always about communication and thoroughness and customer service and then also in having a team, it allows you, when you hit critical mass, you're able to continue to provide that service, but you're also able to continue to expand your business because that's very important in order to keep the momentum so you don't stall. Well, let's talk about team management then for, for a minute. So I think I said at the start of the program, you've got five other people on your team, plus mm-hmm. you guys, so seven. Good-sized team. I agree with you, Henry. So as far as team management is concerned, how do you keep everybody busy in a day? And what, for the listening audience out there who doesn't understand what a team is in real estate here in New York, what does everybody do every day? And how do you kind of grow your business, you know, individually? Or is it all just one collective uh, situation? Well, not everybody has the same role. You always want a good flow of business. So everybody, what do you want as a real estate broker? We all know you want buyers and you want listings. Well, what happens when you're swamped as a single broker with buyers and listings? You don't have time for anything else. You don't have time to put together the board packages. You don't have time to market yourself, going back to new development, or market your team to get more business down the road. So you find yourself maybe letting things fall through the cracks, and then you have no business again. So here, it's a constant flow. So our team is, I think, very nicely set up. Heather and I are at the top. Um, Everyone is licensed. Um, However, we have two other brokers Um, who bring their own business in and also help service our business when we don't necessarily have time for 100% focus. Mm -hmm. Then we have two assistants, Mm -hmm. so their things don't fall through the cracks. They see all our emails, they help us with the board packages, et cetera, et cetera. And we were lucky enough this year to hire one person whose sole job is marketing of our team and our listings. So they market us to get more business Mm -hmm. and then they market, help us market our business so that we're really selling quickly and at top dollar. Okay, so you guys say that you provide exceptional customer service by being goal-oriented and being driven by achieving great results the old-fashioned way. And when I was reading your bio the other day, I kept thinking, okay, that that resonates with me. So explain to us, what do you mean by the old-fashioned way? I love it. We earned it. (laughs) There you go. That's exactly what I started laughing about at my desk the other day. 
It truly is. I mean, it's it's what I learned growing up. And it's hard work. It's rolling up your sleeves and getting the job done, putting your head down when you need to get, put your head down and just focus. Um, and it's it's not passing the buck. It's doing it yourself. And it's really um, staying committed. A lot of people think of real estate brokers as a part-time career or something to do after another career. And yes, I have come from other careers as, as well. As did I, yeah. Um, many people have, but it's not something I do in the afternoon after I drop off my kids. It's, you know, my kids are my priority, but it's it's a full-time serious job that we take very seriously. And as heads of team, our team depends on us too. Absolutely. So that's yeah. a, it's, it's our second family. As I've said for years, it, it basically, you know, it's not a full-time, it's not a, a part-time job. It is full-time. It is oftentimes 24 by seven, but the flexibility of us not having to be in an office in a nine to five situation makes it easier. So we can kind of snap in and out of whatever we have to do in that particular day with relative ease uh, versus having to be at a desk from nine to five. And then when the day is over, the day is over. We kind of work around the clock when we need to. Right. It, I mean, it's what I love about the job. You wake up in the morning, you really don't know what the day is going to bring you. <laughs> you, you. You don't. And that's one of the things that I really kind of look forward to because I, I don't have a clue some days. Some days, of course, we do. And then some days it's like the phone will ring and it'll be, you know, a customer or it'll be a new seller or whatever. You just don't know what's going to happen. Moving on a little bit, you, you have on your website, and I think, and again, if you go to the core website and look up these guys because there's some great tips for sellers and for buyers. And so quickly, you've got about three minutes left to the segment. What are some of the tips that you give to your sellers to be successful in their selling endeavors? Uh, one is market knowledge. So we are very heavy on providing our sellers with the data and the comps and understanding what that data means and how it relates to their listing. Because if they don't understand the comps, I don't think you're setting yourself or your seller up for success. Um, and then the, uh, the other thing would really be... Um, is um, communication, making sure they're understanding the process, they know the process um, from A to Z. And to be prepared. So be prepared. We're prepared as brokers, but there's a whole team that goes behind everything. So to have a lawyer in place, to speak to your accountant into advance so you know what the All ramifications are All of these, these are things are so important and people just don't even understand it. So quickly, let's go to the buyer side. What are the tips that when you get a new buyer on board, even if you've worked with them before, it might have been a couple of years, what do you tell the buyers? It's the same thing, really, or at least the preparation part is very important. So typically when we bring a buyer out, we're not just bringing them out with no questions asked. We're asking them about their finances. We're getting them to fill out a financial form. So we know we're asking them to get pre-approved. In some cases, we even want them to have an attorney in advance and to really be prepared because when the good ones come along, they go fast. And so you can't be scrambling for information. You really need to know. And often with buyers, they buy the second apartment they really like because they're not 100% ready for the first one. They want the first one. They're not 100% ready for it. And They I can't, lose it. They lose it. And I can't tell you how many times people have said to me through the years, do you remember that first apartment you took me to? I think that's the one I really want. Well, guess what? It's gone. So funny. Anyway, um, we're running out of time. I just want to ask you quickly, the, the, the million-dollar debate question as we come into 2017, are we officially in a buyer's market or are we still sort of somewhere in between? You know, I think I, I think we're somewhere in between. Um, my, my version of the buyer's market is that in New York City, sellers adapt very quickly 
And as soon as the sellers adapt, it swings back because the market's so tight and it's so competitive and there's never enough inventory. Okay, Heather McDonough, Henry Hershkowitz from the Heather and Henry team at H- Core Real Estate. H&H. H&H, the <laughs> H&H team. Go find them at www.corenyc.com. Thank you for being here today. We have to go to break. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Real estate transactions are full of surprises. I had a client with a beautiful home. We had seven offers in one week. Unfortunately, the first buyer pulled out and the deal fell apart. The client was inclined to relist in the fall, but I encouraged her to take the second offer. I explained that the risk of waiting did not outweigh the potential of getting a higher price. She reluctantly took my advice, but a month later she thanked me and told me how invaluable I'd been throughout the entire stressful process. I'm Lori Benary with CORE, and this is what I do. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back, and I'm talking to our panel, Matthew Cohen, today from CORE, and Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How did you trudge through this nor'easter kind of day, although we didn't get the high winds, well, the sustained high winds, but bad enough. There were high winds yesterday, I feel yeah, like, like last, last night. night mm-hmm. They were pretty bad. This yeah. morning, not as bad. Yesterday was wild. It almost blew me into the Hudson. Yeah. I mean, I don't weigh that much. So it really well, almost say, blew me away. pretty easy to do. <laughs> but I was surprised that, you know, of course, I left my house a little earlier this morning because I figured this kind of morning, you're never going to find a taxi cab. I walked out the door and one was pulling up right in front of my building. I thought, isn't this a blessing? You know, it's going to be a good day when that happens, right? Well, that's what I said. <laughs> I know some of us who <laughs> take this, some of us who take the subway. Wow. <laughs> it was an interesting walk because it's not only it's like that middle ground of raining but not raining, so it's like drizzling. Yeah, but it's also and really I, windy and, and I you can't it. hold the umbrella, so you're just kind of trekking through the rain. I hate umbrellas anyway. It's they really it's quite annoying, and I have the big one because I can't find my small one. Drama. <laughs> Anyway, let's move on. The city's luxury market is humming like it is 2014, at least through the first two weeks of this year. Apparently, buyers signed 50 contracts for luxury homes through the beginning of 2017, tying 2014 as the best start to a new year. This, of course, all according to the Olshan uh, Realty's latest market report. So we're comparing the start of 2017 to the start of 2014, which was a good year. An indication seems to be three weeks into January, that 2017 is going to 
kick off and have a, a, a start like the 14 and continue as a good year. What are your thoughts on that? Will we continue to have a robust selling season in 2017? A question on that. Are they saying that the number of signed contracts, is, is that's what the record is? Not the pricing, right? Or the, the signed contracts, the signed amount of contracts, contracts right. that were signed from the beginning of the year to, I think, last the other day, the, the 17th or 18th. Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just start, but I'll let Matt chime in. I think it still remains to be seen on pricing, but I think there's no question that the volume picked up a lot in the last couple of weeks. Matt, I don't know if you're seeing that as well. And I'll just mention that on the rental side also, the volume has picked up. The traffic has really picked up. So I think it remains to be seen if how it's going to affect pricing or not, but it seems like the volume is there. Now, when you say the volume on the rental side, um, yeah. my question is because the rental market has been down a bit yeah. over the last six or eight months. So you see that that activity is picking up and mm-hmm. is that affecting price or is it not It yet? seems like landlords have lowered the price, not all of them, but a lot of them. And there's just been a surge. We had a few listings on the website and they were getting very little traffic. Uh, look, part of it's the holiday season, but I would say that it was surprising how many inquiries we're getting on listings that we were getting nothing on in December. So I think a big part of it is that a lot of the prices have come down. That combined with surge in demand traffic, or just you know from renters, seems to be like uh, a lot of leases are getting signed. And again, prices remains to be seen what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I will say on the rental side, prices have come down. So so on the sales side, I'd like to chime in about two different things that you mentioned. Um, well, actually, sorry, just two different things about what you mentioned. Um, first of all, I think it's really interesting that people are comparing the market right now to the market in 2014. Because if you think about the market in 2014 as a whole, we were still in this upward climb in terms of pricing, where 2015 was really, I like to believe, the peak. I mean, the end of 2015 was that peak of very high numbers. Um, And so when you think of 2014, I could see that with 2017, because I think 2017 is a bit of a, not a correction year, but it's a bit of a lower tick from where we were last year. So I, I think that's actually a really good comparison. And then with regards to the contracts being signed, I have definitely seen an upward movement in demand in terms of just how many buyers are out there looking. Um, I mean, both my open houses on Sunday were packed and, um, you know, new listings coming to market. I think it's it's a first for a while that more buyers are out there than I believe listings that have come on the market. So, and I base a lot of that on, I know we talk about this all the time, but last week, mortgage-backed security yields went down. And for all those intellectual people out there or finance people, that is a telltale sign that either interest rates are going to completely stabilize or they will actually go down a little bit before the next Fed meeting. So that's a really good thing. And I think people want to take advantage of that mm-hmm. and find a property so they could lock their rate in. Well, well, based on that, so let me ask you this. Back in December, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by 0.25% for the second time since 2008 financial crisis and more increases are likely this year experts say at the moment interest rates for a 30-year fixed mortgage are hovering around four percent for a 30-year fixed uh, according to bankrate.com if they were to go up say a percentage point uh, that would translate to an action an ex- an extra four hundred eighty dollars per month for someone with a mortgage on say a million point five 
uh, apartment, which is the median price here in Manhattan. What does that mean for the market overall? So if interest rates go from 4% to 5%, if my math's right, that's like a 25% increase, right? That's a, that's so a big that increase. That is a huge increase. increase. I think when people sometimes hear 4 to 5%, they may not think that's a big deal. But the, the truth is that it affects the numbers in a dramatic way. So that's going to mean that people's mortgages, on average, the monthly payment is going to go up by about 25%. Now, their total monthlies won't necessarily go up by that because you also have their maintenance costs, which won't necessarily go up by that amount. But even if it means their total costs are going up monthly by 12 and 13%, that could significantly affect the market. It, at minimum, could put a lid on pricing increases. So that's why I still think that if these mortgage increases do happen, mortgage rate increases do happen, it will, I believe, put at least a lid on price increases for this year. I actually, because I love you, I actually disagree. Um, I think that New Yorkers are very, well, not I think, New Yorkers are very critical and smart. And knowing my clients, um, if, for example, some of them, you know, need a bigger place because they're having another kid or there's someone, you know, there's one on the way or, or who knows what the situation is, they, rates were so low. I mean, peop, I have clients that locked in 2.5, 2.6 interest rates. And, you know, I think that they are going to wait if they really hike up that much because, you know, I, I just don't think they're going to want to let go of that low interest rate that they had. Um, and, and at the same time, I actually do find that people think that is a huge jump from four to five. Um, and, and I think what that makes people do is speak to their more lenders about what kind of products are out there, because those people who are very into 30-year fixed who are a little more conservative might actually go for an arm or a 10-year or a 15-year instead just to get a better interest rate. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure what part you disagree with. <laughs> no, only because it, I mean, it sounds like no, because it sounds like I, I thought of that. I thought yeah. about that as I was talking. Yeah, actually. because it, it sounds like we're agreeing just in the sense that, and I'm open to if there, if there is a disagreement, that prices it will affect pricing. Uh, you you may be right that some buyers may choose just not to buy, but that is a reason why prices could also come down because that means there'll be less demand. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, agree. Uh, Take yeah. back the disagreement for all the listeners out there. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we can all sit here and agree and disagree, but I think overall, I believe that the market is not going to increase price wise. I don't think the prices are going to go up this year in 2017. Right. I think they're going to stay either flat or come down just a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think the New York Times yesterday or the day before, maybe it was Sunday, uh, actually headlined one of their articles. We are now officially in a buyer's market. And I just asked Heather and Henry what their, their thinking on that was. I mean, maybe we are, maybe we aren't. But, you know, if that is still floating around out there that says to me that we aren't going to see increases in prices. Now, there are pockets of of, of neighborhoods or, or buildings or apartments that may have reason to, you know, uptick in, mm-hmm. in a price for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think for the most part, we are gonna, we're going to see a strong, you know, uh, buying and selling market this year. But I don't think it's going to be uh, because prices are going up. I think it's going to be normalized and I think it's going to be, uh, you know, at a value point where buyers are going to be comfortable again, it's always about confidence and comfortableness uh, where they will want to buy. And, you know, we're just going to have to measure that as we go through mm-hmm. and see. Well, first of all, I love Heather and Henry. They're so great. H&H. Um, H&H. But Henry and I were talking about this today about how, you know, 2017 might just be a flat market. And you know what? I'm completely fine with that. I'm flat I'm perfectly is fine. healthy. I mean, it me it's not, it's not you know, surging, but it's also not going down. Well, I think that that actually makes people more comfortable if it does stay stable because I, I correlate those two flat and stable. Mm-hmm. Well, I totally 
totally agree. And I think, you know, when we talk about confidence and being comfortable in the marketplace, I think buyers, sellers will get there. But I think buyers, you know, almost immediately will feel like, okay, it's it's a good time to buy. I feel comfortable to buy. I don't feel like I'm getting robbed on pricing. I feel like I'm paying the right price because at the end of the day, everybody who buys today will sell tomorrow. And mm-hmm. if they feel like they're paying too much today, they're a little concerned about what they can sell for tomorrow. That's just human nature, no matter what you're buying. But in this New York City real estate market, I think that really holds a lot of weight. The other thing in a declining market, or let's just call it a flat to declining market, which it seems like we're in, great time to upgrade to an apartment. So I have these discussions a lot with very savvy buyers, especially those on Wall Street or what have you. And they, we have these discussions about, look, if the market is going down and you're in a one bedroom, and you're thinking of upgrading, now's the time to do it because that de- the decrease in price will be better, uh, will, will be obviously more in absolute terms on a larger apartment. Absolutely. So they're willing to take the loss on, I say, the one bedroom and let me get a two bedroom in this kind of market. So I always find that a flat to declining market is is great for the market in a way because there's a lot of people start moving around and they upgrade. So. I'm actually encouraged that that could be the status of our marketplace this year because as Matt said a minute ago, I think it bodes well for everybody. Yeah. Buyers, sellers, real estate agents, and the marketplace in general. All right, we're going to leave it there. We've got to take a break. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back with Matthew Cohen from CORE and Phil Horgan from LeaseBreak.com. Uh, and we're having our typical hot topic 
chat this morning. So moving on, if you're buying a $20 million luxury crash pad, $20 million, it's safe to say you've got the basic needs of food, clothing, and shelter covered. So it's not, you know, you just need to buy that $20 million place. Ryan Sarhant from Nest Seekers says, no one needs a $20 million home they want. So uh, they want they want it. They don't need it, but they want it, is his point. So the emotions are much, much different. While buyers at lower levels of the residential market focus their needs, such as space for a family or proximity to a job, buyers on the high end are driven by what they want. How many of these buyers are actually around in the marketplace today? In other words, you know, I just want a $20 million apartment because it's a trophy place. It's a show-off place. It's a this, it's a that. I have area, all my other bases covered. Um, but to his point, the emotions when you're buying that price point versus when you're buying a normal price point, an apartment for your family, for your kids to be close to schools in a particular school district, you know, close to the subway line, whatever your desire is, why are the emotions different? And how many buyers are really in that marketplace for 20 million plus? Well, I think the easy answer is that there are not a lot of buyers in that market, in that range. Um, I mean, thankfully, I can speak to this because, you know, I just closed on my $19.5 million place uptown. But um, <laughs> but no, in, in actuality, I do have a client who um, is in that $10 million range, which I know is half of what you just said. But I still but that's consider still, that that's high end. That's very high end. Um, and, and it's interesting. I mean, there's definitely, the list is definitely more wants. But it goes with every other concept when you have price range, whether you're spending $1 million, $2 million, $3 million, $10 million, $20 million. Every, when you're in a certain range, you expect certain things. So it might not be a need or it might not be a want, but it's an expectation. So I, you know, I, one of the most beautiful places that we've seen recently was we went to Stella Tower and they have a gorgeous penthouse there. But if everyone knows Stella Tower, which is a Ralph Walker building, um, it's in Midtown West and the neighborhood's not bad. It's just not incredible. And so, you know, when we went to see something in the West Village soon after that, my client said, here's the thing. I know that you know what I want, but I do need a, he, he panned it out for me three different ways. He said, I need a dry cleaner, a coffee place. And there was one more thing that I can't remember. Um, a semi-decent grocery store that I can hop in and out of within like a two block radius. And you know what? So I just think every, the point is, is that every buyer wants and needs certain things in any given price range. I will say that because some of the uber luxury type of apartments, as you mentioned, are not necessarily, the pricing isn't necessarily based on some fundamentals about the unit. A lot of times the pricing is based on the, uh, you know, the, the intangible qualities of it. Because of that, I, I do notice that sometimes in down markets, these markets get just absolutely destroyed. Like, I remember the financial crisis that we recently happened, that recently happened, townhouses overnight were cut in 50, by 50%, you know, and some of the Uber stuff was cut dramatically. So I guess what I'm saying is there's, there's one school of thought that these people love this type of apartment. It doesn't matter what the market is because they're so rich, but there are so many few of them that there are a lot less of them. So because of that, I do think that Sometimes if there's all of a sudden just like a difference in the, uh, the psychology or whatever, 
those pricing, those prices can take a huge cut. And I, we sometimes see that when markets come down is that they get hit first at the high end, mm-hmm. you know, and that seems to be ha- <clears throat> sort of happened now as well, you know. So I, I find that markets... It's the fringe to- neighborhoods that get hit first, and mm-hmm. it's the high price point like that that gets hit first. Right. And we saw that last year with That's the luxury right. foreign buyers, you know, in the 10 million plus range, really coming to a standstill. Exactly. Right, right. And and I'll, f- I'll fully admit that my bread and butter, so to say, is between one and two million. Um, but you but know, the I'm world wants not- to know, the world wants to know, though, what did you just sell for $19 million? <laughs> no, I meant that's what I closed on for myself. Uh, so, there you go. Come on. <laughs> but he's joking. Got to get good places I, for I ourselves, too. I thought he was being serious, too. <laughs> and that's why he's on the show, right? <laughs> yeah. No, that is for myself. I'm just uh, joking to everyone out there. Um, but I agree with the, the sweet spot. The, 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 the and it, but while, while saying that, I actually think the high-end market is a very interesting place to be right now if you do have a chance to experience that because there are a lot of different places where you do have very luxury just big luxury price tags. And it's not where people would normally expect, I think. Um, you know, you have a great project in Dumbo that has, you know, penthouses, Love very Dumbo. high end. Yeah. I mean, 30 Park Place in, you know, in the border of Tribeca and Financial District. It's not the best kind of neighborhood in blockwise, but they're outrageously expensive. I mean, 4,000 plus a square foot and the Woolworth building, which is obviously an icon. Um, but if you think about apartments that are selling for north of 20 million each and they're in the center of City Hall, it's just. I can't. I know that building I don't well. Know. I used to be in and out of that building. There was a gym in the base of that building years ago that I used to go to. I can't even imagine the price points on some of those apartments that you just mentioned in that building, on that street, in that location. I just, it blows my mind. I mean, it's a gorgeous, hey, it's a gorgeous project. It's an iconic building it's like the gorgeous, plaza. Yes. But if you think about what you could buy, you know, just a little bit up in the center of the West Village in the gorgeous, you know, townhouse blocks. I mean, how do you even compare? So it's a very interesting place to be right now. Well, you can't compare. That's the thing. And it's always the buyer's choice of where they want, what they want. And, you know, the H&H team and I were talking earlier, some people only want new development. Some people don't care if it's pre-war. Some people look at both, but there are people who want what they want. I think that was Ryan's point, you know, in the, in the, in the story. It, it, it's all about differences in wants, and 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 as a result, you know the emotions, you know, go in a, either direction. Let's move on. What recourse does a buyer have when a seller suddenly decides to cancel a fully executed contract? First of all, can they do that? And second of all, what 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 can happen? I mean, you don't see it that often here in New York City, but somebody just recently asked me that question over the weekend, and it 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 happens from time to time. Yeah, I mean the buyer can sue and try to force the seller to close. Mm-hmm. That's basically what can happen. I had a situation where, and this sometimes happens, <clears throat> where the seller had a fully executed contract with the buyer, mm-hmm. and then the seller wanted to get out of the contract. So they looked over the contract carefully and realized there was a clause that allowed them to get out of. So that's the first step the seller should do if they want to cancel, and a buyer should be careful. And that's exactly what I told my seller just the other day. Yeah, because there may be something in there. And the example that I had was that somebody, the buyer, misrepresented whether they went to bankruptcy in the last, I think the contract says you didn't go bankruptcy in the last seven years. This buyer went into bankruptcy like six and a half years ago, something like that. So they were able to get out of the contract. 
and there's nothing the buyer could have done. So they're, they're, that's the first thing the buyer or the seller is going to do is look over that contract carefully with their attorney and see if they can get out. Um, but if there's nothing that says they can get out, then and they get, try to get out anyway, the buyer should or will or potentially can sue to force them to I've close. heard a couple of situations where you know the sellers end up getting a little higher price, uh, even though they have a fully executed contract and want to get out of the, the contract so they can take the better deal. And at the end of the day, Phil, you're right. I mean, the buyer can uh, sue and they can also put a temporary restraining order on the seller from selling that apartment to anyone else before the case is settled. And in most cases, the buyer probably would win, mm-hmm. uh, especially if that is disclosed. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a situation that fortunately doesn't happen that often in the city. I'm not quite sure about the suburbs. It's not my marketplace. It's not my expertise. But, you know, w- you know, the old expression, a contract is a contract. You're bound by the terms of the contract. And as you said, you know, you got to make sure your attorney is on top of things. And a clause like that, if I were a seller, I would not want in the contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, a contract is a legally binding document. Mm-hmm. And I think people sometimes don't you know, use those words enough when referring to a contract and almost make it a little more casual. But this is also one of the many reasons for Mm -hmm. people out there to use a real estate attorney that is based in the city. Mm -hmm. Never use one outside the city because they are used to these concepts. They are used to these ideas of things that can happen theoretically. So they are ready and they will make sure that that contract is ironclad for what you want. And they on, deal with condos and co-ops and they're used on, to On the heels of these two comments, I was just going to ask you, so when you get a buyer or even a seller and, and says to you, so I'm going to use uh, my attorney and he lives on Long Island and he works on Long Island or he's from you know Connecticut or he's from upstate New York, whatever. I know my first reaction is I cringe immediately. Right. Because as you guys just said, it's important to be represented by somebody who not only lives and works in New York, but understands the co-op marketplace and the condo marketplace. I mean, condos may be fee simple ownership, just like buying a house and less complicated than buying a co-op, but you still need to have a complete understanding of what these buildings are like. And I think, you know, sellers and buyers fall short. When they insist upon, and I had somebody from Albany once represent a buyer, and I don't even want to tell you how horrendous mm-hmm. the deal was. Horrendous. I'm very close with a lot of my clients, but whether I'm close with them or not, <coughs> we we always have trust, and they trust me a lot. And, and I will say to them, you know, well, first of all, I have an attorney that I use for almost all my clients. His name is Jason Zegans, and he's amazing, not to plug him, but I did. Um, and I always say to my clients, I'm like, here's the thing. Do you trust me? Have I done an amazing job for you? Then trust me when I say you need to use someone that is based here who has the knowledge of the logistics of how it's going to go here. And I always just like to put emphasis on whether it's an attorney, whether it's a contractor, whether it's a mortgage lender. It's great to be part of a team. You have a team that is behind you to go back on your team concepts. I am not part of a team, for example, with regards to what Heather and Henry have as a team, but I'm a broker who I have a team of people, whether it's my mortgage lender, my attorney, my contractor, my interior designer, my stager, I have everyone ready to go and they are the best because I have vetted them and my clients trust me on that. And I have said for years that the team approach to buyers and sellers is the only way to go. Now, there are going to be times where, you know, your buyer or seller has their attorney and they're good attorneys and they've done co-op deals before, condo deals. But I find that when I do the same thing, Matt, you know, and I, you know, reference an attorney or, or banker or a stager or this or that, 
everybody kind of works in tandem and everybody works to get the deals done and to move the deals forward. Because when you're working sometimes with outsiders or people that you don't know, uh, and it's not to say that they're not representing their clients well enough, but I think it's more than just a client. It's the entire deal. It's the entire cycle and process of getting the transaction from accepted offer all the way to closing table. It flows well. And in New better, York, in, in Manhattan and Brooklyn and Queens, in New York City, you want things to move as well as they can because mm-hmm. there are always going to be hiccups no matter how great and easy the transaction is. So you want to start it on the right foot. And as well as that, I think the only clients I have who I really let it slide more is a, a lot of my attorney clients, who, especially the ones that are at bigger firms like Cravath and Sullivan and Cromwell, you know, they give their attorneys, real estate attorneys in house mm-hmm. for free mm-hmm. because you know, that just makes more sense. Um, do, we, do we have time? We don't. So hold up. We have to take a break. We are uh, coming back for our last segment right after this. Don't go away. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. By the time I was 16 years old, I knew I wanted to get into real estate. We'd already moved through seven homes in four countries, and I spoke five languages. Of all people, I understand that transition is difficult. It's why I've committed my career to making sure that this process for my clients is as smooth and successful as possible. It's why I've connected them to the best professionals and attorneys and bankers, and I wake up every single day thinking, how can I make this better? I'm Tony Sargent with CORE, and this is what I do. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and I cut Phil off before the oh, commercial no. break. You wanted to make a comment about the Just attorney. Just because we get this question all the time. Oh, my attorney's from Long Island. My mm. attorney's from upstate New York. Um you have to always be careful, I find, because you really don't know what the relationship is between your buyer, your client, and this attorney. Absolutely. And look, I, sometimes it works out fine, okay? But the two things I want to say is, my, so my job as an agent is I, I look at it like I want to at least make sure they know the concerns. So I make sure I'm saying, look, here are the concerns. You want to make sure you have a New York City attorney for these reasons. Ultimately, the decision's up to you, and that's important. But the second thing is I do make the point that it also could affect the deal itself. It could affect how the other side is looking at 
your whole situation, mm-hmm. especially sure. if there's multiple offers on the place and a, a pre, uh, an apartment's being bid up and a seller has to decide between three or four offers, a broker could potentially tip, the, a seller's agent could potentially tip the balance against you or a seller could as well, if they say, well, all these offers look pretty much the same, but this buyer's attorney is from who knows where. So I'm just making the, so my, my point is, I just want the buyer to know all these risks up front, and then they can make the best decision. But that's that's how I look at my job. And that's- just so everyone out there knows, what Phil is referring to is when you have a multiple bid situation, or a bidding war, as we like to call it, um, you are usually you need to give the deal sheet quote unquote information up front um, before the seller makes their decision and one of the biggest things on that info is the attorney that the buyer is going to use and I actually won a bidding war for my client last year um, because the broker said to me you were at the same price but the seller felt more comfortable that your attorney was in the city there you go there you go okay moving on so here's a brick underground survey sure it may be a long schlep to the subway but living on either the far east or far west sides of manhattan have definite benefits we're talking river views in some cases serene strolls along the water and maybe fresher air as some people claim uh also thanks to the second avenue subway's opening as well as the seven train extension the ongoing construction at hudson yards which is far west uh around the high line both waterfronts flank areas are seeing increased interest from renters so brick underground asked several new yorkers to sound off on what they consider to be their favorite side of town far now it's not west and east it's far west and it's far far east so what so do you think, easy so what easy. do you think that well i i think it's easy I and, I, and I guessed say. it right but okay well, then i know it has to be it it's clearly far west and the reason is because the city has done such a gorgeous job yeah. with the far west side of the city i bike a lot of days not on days like today but a lot of days it is beautiful i i I, I lived in the city almost 15 years, maybe more, and I didn't really take advantage of that until the last few years. Man, did I miss out. It is so beautiful along I'm, the Hudson River. I'm there. picturing Phil in a poncho on his bike today. Like, <laughs> I, I was riding through Midtown with and on his poncho. It's like leasebreak.com. Was, <laughs> yeah. wasn't, it, wasn't it raining last Tuesday and he came in and he said he yes, rode here yeah, and I thought, and I may ride back. Yeah, oh my God. Okay, better than me. But anyway, go agree, ahead, go. agreed. I also think it's about either downtown or uptown because on the far west downtown, there are amazing piers. They built these incredible <laughs> piers and yes, you have that on the Upper West as well, but um, it's just a little different, I think. Um, I also, having lived on Riverside Boulevard, which is the farthest west you can go on the Upper West Side, and now I live actually just, I I live right next to Columbia University, and I'm on Morningside Park. Um, There is something, I, I understand why everyone likes it, there's something a little more serene and peaceful about living near the water or living near the park. Um, you know, especially when you're in the midst of city life every single day, um, it can get tiring. So I, I love after work taking a stroll just even, you know, through the park or on well, the water. I call the outer perimeter, you know, peaceful and quiet. <clears throat> the center of the island is is more business oriented. There's a lot more people running around. There's a lot of companies. So a lot of transient people in and out. What you don't find on either far east or far west are people who don't live in the city. It's very neighborhood along the coast, right. as I call it. And only the people who live there are taking advantage of what that beauty it's is. It's very residential. It's and even though we know the answer... 
Well, I have to, I have to, I mean, maybe we don't know the answer, wait. but I got to give one point to the east side. I have to say that. Well, it's the, coming around. Well, coming on around. the Upper East, Carl Scherz Park oh, that's is beautiful. beautiful. That's beautiful. I mean, that I lived, area. I, I lived right off that park at it's one point. It's gorgeous. And, it is. And, and like Gracie Mansion, it's all so pretty Stunning. up there. So I'll give them credit for that. <laughs> well, the winner is Far West, of course. Uh, and we all guess that as New Yorkers here and Upper West Siders. All right. The trouble with most New York City bathrooms, besides their typically small size, is the single sink. But uh, forces uh, that all but forces those sharing the space to wrestle for a spot at which to wash, brush, primp, and preen. To the rescue, the double vanity, a brilliant addition to any bathroom and one fixture that may just pave the way to a more peaceful start of the day. Now, I worked in new development, so I, I know the differences between a single sink and a double sink. How do you buyers feel about this and how available are double sinks in New York City apartments anyway? Taking out new development completely, they really don't exist. No, very rare. Oh, very rare. If you're, if you're not including new developments, right? Yeah, I mean, if you, so if you just include resales, um, especially pre-war, rare. But I think that especially when you go into renovated apartments, um, it's it's usually a double vanity in the master bathroom, mm-hmm. I find. But I, it's, yeah, we're talking it's about so masters mostly. I know you don't want to talk about new development, but I did have no, a no, family. No, I do, I do. I'm working with a family who is about to pin offer, um, and they we went to this new development that's very interesting um, on the east side, actually, even though we just hate on it. Um, and the building had options for them. They had different layouts of two bedrooms. And it's funny that I think they're going – so the the option they had was to have a master bathroom with a double vanity or a master bathroom with a single vanity but a window. And I have a feeling they're actually going to go with the single with the window oh, because totally. oh, I, they I, thought I, – I absolutely would. Yeah. So, But but it also – I guess that puts less emphasis on the double vanity because they, they – think it's nicer but to have a window in the bathroom window, because that's, that's rare. So come on. But in right. New York City, that's fair. I have a large right. window in my bathroom and I would never give it up. But, but you know, here's the thing. <laughs> and I mean, when I was, and when, when I talked about it with them and I, I was like, I love to run around my bathroom naked. So I don't know how much juice I'd get out of that window <laughs> unless people could only. <laughs> well, I'm high enough on the 10th floor that nobody can yeah, see out my window. Anyway. But, but here's the thing. And I mean, and for the listening audience around the globe, and we have to always remember, this is not just about New York City listeners. If you're watching HGTV and I watch a lot of HGTV and all the shows, the renovated shows, the house hunting shows, you know, when couples are out looking, they really are specifically looking for a double vanity sink situation in the master bathrooms, you know, and I always say, as Matt's, you know, example pointed out, I would always opt for a single with a window or a single with maybe a a stall shower plus a tub Mm -hmm. because my feeling is when I'm in the bathroom, I'm in the bathroom. I don't want anybody else in the bathroom with me. So what, what is this need for couples to have to have two people brushing teeth at the same time? I mean, it's like time your, your need in the bathroom and leave. I also, have you, I'm actually, I hate to admit this, but I'd rather have the other amenities. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I hate to admit this, but I'm more of a food network fan than the, than HGTV. But have you ever noticed that a lot of shows on HGTV are Canada based? I just kind of Toronto, yeah, yeah. That mm-hmm. is so interesting. To <clears throat> me. Sorry, so off topic. <laughs> no, but 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 that's that's the great debate. And then I know when I was selling new developments, our two bedrooms always had the double sinks, and the one bedrooms always had the one. And there were couples would come in that were looking for ones, one bedrooms, and they'd be like, "Well, but we want two sinks. Sorry, can't have it." 
you know, the bathroom is not sized for two sinks well, in the, the one bedroom like, to scenario. Me, I mean, to me, space is so difficult to come by in New York City. Very the difficult. The question you have to ask yourself is how often are you going to have two people in the bathroom using that space? Would you rather just have That's what a I say. bigger tub or yes. more space to move around? A tub and a stall shower. Right. So um, it's one of those things that I think it's a nice amenity and it looks great. And people like, oh, wow. But if you think about the practical use I don't think it's as useful. It's kind of like the tub inside the shower situation, if you've seen those. It's aesthetically beautiful when you visit in the model, but it's not practical because it gets really dirty. So practicality is very important. And then I think of having to clean two sinks, and then we we all show apartments in new development buildings that were new at one point, and the double sinks. And, you know, they're not always neat and clean. You know, one sink is better than cleaning two. But I bring it up this week only because it was brought up to me uh, a couple of weeks ago in a a new development search. And it was the same thing as I said when I watched the HGTV shows. Oh, my God, I have to have two sinks because he's doing one thing, she's doing another thing or whatever. And I think, well, why in the bathroom together? I think you should take (laughs) I think you should take those clients to the new neighborhood um, uptown Toronto. I, I think they'll love it. But you know, but you know Vince, I don't think it's just... It's like, I'm in the bathroom. Get out. Don't I don't in. think it's just... I mean, I could be wrong on this, but I don't think for couples it's just that they're going to be in the, the same time. I think it's that she wants all her stuff there and he wants all his stuff there so that he could have his little area, she could have her area. Well, so first of all, if you live in my house, there's no stuff anywhere. It's put away in cabinets <laughs> and when you need it, you take it out and use it. I get it. You're 100% right. But when Vince that's leaves the, the apartment, Jed cleans everything. Right. It's fascinating. And on that note, my little Jetster, I love her. We gotta go. That's the show for this week. Thanks to my panel as always and to catch the show anytime, go to our website, voiceamerica.com or Vince, vincerock.com for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.